Here, as you can see in this portion, we're entering into a portion of Scripture which is really redemptive in nature. And what really comes out of this passage is an attitude in life. An attitude that, that tempered how the Apostle Paul lived. And that was in regards to the furtherance of the Gospel, to the preaching of Christ. And after we've completed this section in the first part where Paul prays for their spiritual growth and development and proving excellent things in their lives, he goes on to give a little bit of testimony in regards to his imprisonment. Because remember, Paul wrote, wrote this from prison. And he, he had been in prison for the cause of Christ. And we see a wonderful attitude in spite of that in this passage. We see, we'll see, as we look ahead, I just couldn't help but want to give you a, a preview of coming attractions. In verse 20, he says this, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a tremendous perspective that he carried towards life, a perspective that God had given him, and then he passes that on to you and I, or to the Philippian believers, and then to you and I in verse 27, where he says, Only let your conduct, your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And you can see the emphasis in Paul's passage on the gospel, on the furtherance of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, and the light of the gospel. It's, his, it's, it's Paul's perspective, and it's a perspective he seeks to impart in you and I in our lives. So what's this gospel Paul speaks of? Well, we know in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, Paul identifies the gospel as the fact that Christ has, was died, was buried, and rose again, and was seen by many. That's the good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. It's a simple message, but it is a powerful message. It is an important message. The Bible tells us it is the power of God unto salvation. This good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins to rescue us. It's the message of, of deliverance from eternal hell. From, it's the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. It's the promise of an eternal future. It is also the rescue we need in a life filled with potholes and sinkholes and those things which enslave us and destroy us. Our hope is in Christ. And Paul says that's the message and that's the focus of this passage is our participation, our engagement, our perspective in regards to furthering the gospel of Christ. Now the underlying theme here in this passage is what's amazing is, is the fact that Paul's in prison and he maintains his perspective he maintains his joy and his peace. And you actually see somebody that he is somewhat surprised in Christ. And he begins this passage in verse 12. He says, I want you to know the things which happened to me. Those things are his imprisonment. These things which happened to me. Terrible things. No doubt the world thought they could silence the witness of the Apostle Paul. That they could eliminate his influence on their culture, on their society, on their people, and on their religions. They thought they had won a victory. And no doubt many Christians look back and think, what's God doing? The mighty apostle, the one who is bearing the word of God to the Gentile world is in prison. What's going to happen to the work of the ministry? And Paul says, I want you to know these things have taken an interesting turn. It's, they've turned to the furtherance of the gospel. And for Paul, maybe even his faith was challenged at a moment. Because there's, there's an element of somewhat of awe and, and surprise an astonishment in this passage. His faith may have been challenged because, you know, ministry wasn't going according to his plan. This 
is not how it's supposed to work. This is not how they draw it out in Bible school. This is not how it, I'm not supposed to end up in prison. But the good news in this passage is God did not fail Paul. God did not have to say, oops, I, I, you know, I, I just forgot to protect you and then have to come up with a, with a rescue plan. He was right where God wanted him, in the middle of a prison ministry. Now, maybe Paul didn't volunteer for a prison ministry, but he was drafted for a prison ministry. That's where he was. And the gospel was anything but silence. And so Paul says, actually, they've actually turned out. Actually. Here I thought, you know, I'm going to have to sit in a dark, dank prison and not, and ministry is going to be on hold for a while. But it's actually turned out for the better. It couldn't remind me of a verse in 1 Corinthians 3.19 where God says this, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. That's a, that's a wonderful verse in regards to the sovereignty of God. God's the one who sovereignly fought Paul into prison in order to further the gospel in a way that Paul would have never had. God catches the wise, and while the wise of this world thought they had managed to silence the message, God catches the wise and actually furthers his cause. And instead of despair, it's like, wow, Paul says, actually, look what God is doing. Now, I think that's amazing for one thing, because I don't know if I was in prison, in a you know, ranked prison like this, that I could rejoice and have this kind of perspective. It's only by the grace of God that Paul could see life from this way, and that's the encouragement of his trust in the sovereign plan of God for his life. And so Paul says, these things are furthering the gospel in verse 12. They've turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel is advancing, it means. It means to move forward. And Paul was rejoicing in this because that's this Christian soldier's primary objective in life. We forget that sometimes. The reason we're here, the reason we breathe air, the reason we make money is so that we can advance the gospel. That's, the, that's our avocation in life. That's our primary, our primary vocation in life, I should say, is to advance the gospel. And no doubt soldiers in various wars that have, that have occurred, even when their progress has not been made, when they hear of the advancement of their, of their nation or their cause, they rejoice. And that's what Paul's saying, I'm rejoicing, because the gospel is moving forward. Because Paul recognized that the most important reason to be alive is people. You know, God put us here for people. You know, sometimes we talk about, in conversations with, uh, with each other, and sometimes in families, is, you know, favorite places to live. You know, maybe there's places we visited that we'd like to live, and some people say, oh, it's my backyard. That's a good thing. This is a beautiful country to live in, or part of the country to live in. We, thought, we think about beautiful places to live. But when it comes down to it, whenever we, when you really evaluate it, where we live is about the people we associate with. It's about people, whether it's family, our church family, other Christians, and you know, I don't know about you, but for me to go out and live someplace that, you know, there's, that has the most pristine beauty I can imagine, it would eventually get boring because I'm kind of a boring person. It's up to myself. Life's about fellowship. We're meant to live in community, and that's why God created church families. And so Paul recognized the most important thing is people, and you know what? People are being reached. That's what he means by the furtherance of the gospel. It wasn't that they had a successful evangelistic campaign and they could be recognized of, be, of having so many numbers. You know, people are being touched with the gospel. More was being accomplished for Christ in prison than when he was out. That's the astonishing thing. Paul's best laid 
great evangelistic plan may have been may have been effective, but he says it's even more effective because God is carrying out his plans to advance the gospel through my presence in prison. You see, even when life seems out of control, we must remember God is in control, is he not? And when we trust him with our lives, when we just simply get engaged in his cause, he's going to take care of us. And, is that, and when we have that mentality, that attitude, people are effective for Christ. This is a real challenge to us to, to live our lives from a redemptive perspective, isn't it? Nowhere in the scriptures, especially this passage, do we see a ducks mentality. What do you mean a ducks mentality? I mean having your ducks in a row. So many of us have the perspective, I've got to get this and this and this done, and then maybe I can have time to go witness to somebody. Or I get so engaged with my project, it just has to get done before winter, that I don't have time to think about witnessing to people. You don't see that here. You see men and women in the scriptures who are engaged in the advancement of the gospel, letting things be in their life, trusting God with the details to hold life together. The scriptures do not say, get your life in order, and then go and preach the gospel. You don't see it. It says go, doesn't it? And then we have to trust God with the details. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I think we may have touched on this passage recently, but it came back to mind. I think it's very pertinent here in light of this, the testimony of the apostle.
should affect how we make our plans each day. It should keep our eyes open for opportunities each day. And when we do that, we have to trust God with our lives because he might ask us to set aside something we don't want to set aside because we need to go when he says go, serve where he says serve, and trusting him with the loose ends of our lives. And you know, sometimes we may have to look at our lives and think all these things that have been covered by self with, maybe something has to go because it's keeping me from serving Christ. You see, yeah, Jesus' focus in coming to earth was you and me. Wasn't it? It was, that's, we're the reason he humbled himself. We're the reason he became obedient unto death. We're the reason that the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. And if it's the Lord Jesus who lives in us, it's his life, it's his life which we share. It's him we follow. It's him we walk with. Then how can we walk through that direction? How can we live our life on our terms and fail to take Jesus' perspective for his life? Because God has a saving program. We know in the scriptures that the lost are drawn by the Father. The Trinity is involved. Not just the Lord Jesus, though he is the one who paid for our sins on the cross. John 6, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up for the last day. We know they're convicted by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, And when he, the Spirit, has come, he will convince the world, or convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then in John 6, 47, we're saved by faith in Christ alone. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. That's the objective of God in this world today. This world's a temporary place. God's going to burn it up someday. Our lives here are fairly short compared to eternity. God has a much better future plan for us than keeping our feet planted here in this cursed planet. In the meantime, he's seeking to save people, and we're just the mouthpieces. That's all God wants. He wants our mouth. We're the preachers. We're the witnesses. And we trust the Lord of the harvest to direct us each day to those who need to hear. Luke 10.2 says this, And he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And that's tragic. Few. Few that are conscious in their 24-7 in their schedule of the harvest. And, you know, and there would be no way a farmer would be walking through his fields without watching when they're ready to harvest. They watch it. They go out and they test the grain and some, you know, moisture content in certain grains and when it's ready it's time to go they're, out, they're conscious every day you know you look out the kitchen window and look at the condition of the crops and is, it, is, is today the day we, we we touched or combine or whatever and that's what Jesus is he says the harvest is ready you don't have to wait there's no waiting till the crop is ripe it's ripe Jesus said he says therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest and he's the one who directs us to those in our life that need to hear the good news. And it's wonderful to be part of This is a delightful passage. This, is, this gives us purpose in life, meaning in life. We can actually be involved in rescuing people from eternal hell. Imagine that. That you and I can have a part in rescuing someone from avoiding eternity in hell. We can have a part in helping people escape the snares and captivities of the addictions and destructive behaviors of this world when we introduce them to Jesus Christ. Well, let's see that that's the effect that this passage should have on us. That's, what the, that's the effect it had on others. Notice it says here in, in this passage, 
Verse 13, it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It had become evident, Paul says, that my chains are in Christ. And the Paul became newsworthy in the gossip and newscasts of the day. It became evident to all that Paul was here because he preached a person, a savior, a deliverer. He preached Christ. And he says the whole palace guard has heard the gospel. The unsaved has, has heard. And what a unique way to let your light shine. And the whole palace guard had no doubt heard Paul's explanation. Maybe heard them witness to visitors. And that's quite a way to take the shade off your light, isn't it? That's a challenge for us not to put a bushel basket over our light. Just take it off. Paul was out in the wide open, bra and bare, and his light was shining brightly. Now what's interesting here, nowhere in this passage do we see hostility towards the government. We mean unfair, unfair, unfair. You've got too much control. You don't see a political endeavor here, do you? You don't see a complaining or despondency towards, towards God or towards his afflicted. Instead, we see a quiet faith in the Lord Jesus that rejoiced in spite of the cost. A joy knowing that God is working all things out according to the counsel of his own will. Now Paul says, I get to be a part of this. And look at this, he says, this is actually furthering the gospel. I'm just along for the ride. I get to be part of it. And so the whole palace guard representing the unsaved, the unsaved folks of the palace, and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. That's everyone else, maybe in the palace, or uh, so to speak. They heard that, that he was in prison because he preached a message of salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone. And then he speaks to the brethren. Also, become evident to the brethren. It says most of the brethren have become confident. You know, that to me seems a little backwards. Because in many cases, when persecution ramps up, Christians go undercover. And sometimes you have to be cautious to try to continue the cause of Christ. No doubt those that are in foreign lands where persecution is rampant, we pray for them because they have to be cautious. It's a balance between being bold in their witness and cautious in their, in their expression of worship. But these people weren't hiding. They made them more bold. It's just like they're saying, here I am, come and get me. They're preaching the word without fear. And I think that often believers need a wake-up call to the cause of the gospel. And God uses that term awaken in a couple places of Scripture. In Ephesians 5.14, in regard to living right, letting your light shine, he says this, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In 1 Corinthians 15, 34, he says, awake to righteousness, and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. In other words, the Corinthian church, the sin in the church and in their lives were preventing them from being a witness. I speak this to your shame, he says. And believers often need to wake up, and this was maybe that inspiration, maybe a wake-up call for others, an inspiration to others, but they were enjoying preaching the gospel in spite of the risk in life, in spite of the inconvenience and threat to safety and so on. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. A couple passages this morning. Romans chapter 13. I think that's one reason that 
contact with other believers, call it Christian fellowship if you want, family fellowship is so important. Because we have a tendency when, when one walks with Christ to lift another up. Verse 11 says this, and not do it, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awaken out of sleep, for now is our, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. What day? The day we go to be with the Lord. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, and not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. All these awakening passages are meant to help us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to get on track, to wake up to why we're here from its various perspectives. And here, as we go back to Philippians chapter 1, the effect, the evident, the evidence that Paul's chains were in Christ, that he was bold enough in Christ to be in prison, says in verse 14 that the brethren are waxing, becoming confident. They're much more bold to speak without fear. That's what we all want, isn't it? series that we watched several years ago in our adult Sunday school class remind us that fear is normal in our lives. It's something we have to learn to deal with, overcome. But I couldn't help but think of the passage in Ephesians 6, 18 where Paul, in the warfare of the believer, speaks of prayer and he says, pray for me. Pray for all the saints, but pray for me that I might have boldness to preach the gospel as I ought to speak. Paul needed prayer to be bold. And that boldness landed him in prison, but that's the boldness that we need, and Paul's boldness inspired other people's boldness. And, and, we'll, and we'll find as believers that when we're willing to approach life from a redemptive perspective in our days, that God will give us the grace to overcome fear in the love of God and the power of God, and we'll become much more bold. And that should be our desire. We should start today. If we're fearful, nervous about approaching someone with a conversation that would hopefully lead to an opportunity to witness, to share your testimony, to share a Bible tract. Start our day with, with, with prayer. Ask others. Will you pray for me? I'm going to work today, and you know, one of the fellow's dads at work passed away, and you know, I really want to share Christ with him. Will you pray for me around boldness? What's wrong with that? should be normal in the church family, shouldn't it? That's what Paul asked the Ephesian church, because we all tend to be timid, and we need to pray for, pray for, not only for ourselves, but for others, so that we can get over ourselves, and recognize that precious souls are passing into a terrible, awful eternity without Christ, and you and I have the message that can save and deliver. And so they're becoming bold to speak the word without fear. And he goes on to talk about the the way that the various ways the message of Christ is being shared. He says some, verse 15, indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. He said there's two categories of people out there. Some from an antagonistic perspective, and some from a goodwill. They are workers together for the cause of Christ. He says, verse 16, the former, and by the way, in case you have a New American Standard, that kind of Bible, um, ESV, they read, verse verse 16 and 17 from what I am reading so if you're getting lost recognize that it's a difference in manuscripts it's not a difference in accuracy that was a pause so I, if I 
reading verse 16. If you have a Numeric Standard ESV, you might be reading verse 17. Verse 16 in my Bible says, The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add afflictions to my chains. So that's the one, the ones that are antagonistic. The others, the ones that are from goodwill, are preaching from love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. And so we have two classes of people here. Those that were antagonistic, envy, strife, selfish ambition, from pretense, it says later in our passage. What does that mean? I think it's one thing it may mean is that the gospel was being preached in the, in the news and gossip of the day. There are those who may have been antagonistic towards Paul. They might have wanted to see him hung, but it was on the airwaves or the gossip ways. So Auburn News got, got shared that. Everybody's talking about it. Paul says this has actually turned out to something amazing. Everybody's talking about Jesus. Maybe an antagonistic point, but they heard the message. I remember years ago, I used to work at nights a little bit and listen to talk, a little bit of talk radio, and there was a well-known national radio announcer. He's actually Jewish, but somewhat atheistic, if that makes sense. But he knew the gospel with his gospel messages better than a lot of Christians. I heard him have, heard him have guests on who may have been Christians and may have had another uh, reason they were on, but they came around to their Christianity. And uh, this fellow knew the message as well, not better than they did. He knew God's message of redemption. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. Yet he never embraced it. He understood it. He didn't embrace it. In fact, he's quite antagonistic towards Christians and towards it. And that's kind of what we have here, I think. We have somewhat, we have those in the court of public opinion hoping to add affliction to Paul who are simply disgraced with him, disgusted with him, and hope he wouldn't be disgraced. And in the meantime, they're, they're preaching, they're discussing the message of the gospel. And there may have been those also, maybe some religious or even some Christians who might have been critical of Paul thinking he's being too dogmatic. But Paul says, Christ was being preached. And then there, and then there are those who love the Lord. They knew he was appointed for the defense of the gospel. Some version says he was set. He was ready to defend the gospel. And they're with him. And it's wonderful to work with those who share in the gospel vision. And that seems to be an either or in life. There are Christians who just sit in church and take up space. And there are those that are there to, because we have a cause. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have people to touch and reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm going to rejoice in verse 18 because in whatever way, whether in discussions around the table or whether the witness of Christians, Christ is preached because I'm here more than, more than before. Paul says, I couldn't have touched as many people just by showing up in Rome. That's where he was imprisoned. He says that so many people are being pre preached and that's the main thing. Christ is being made known. Whether by me even at my expense, I rejoice that he is made known. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to ev for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel that we understand, the message that God has rescued us, saved us, through which he saved us, is a message he's entrusted to us. We know there are passages like the Great Commission that tells us to go. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus 
said, you're going to be my witnesses. 2 Corinthians 5, that reminds us we're ambassadors. And throughout the pages of Scripture, we see this priority of the believer and the focus to preach Christ to make others known. And we saw that. Our, our, our verses of the month in our bulletin notes you might want to memorize are the verses we started with in Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And I'll read these again, and they maybe have a little bit more meaning to us, where he says, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Now this isn't an attribute that we simply attribute to some spiritual superstar. Something that, you know, the great apostle could, could live and we can't. No, Paul's saying this because we can. We can live with this perspective. We can have this kind of effect. Now we might not have full-time missionaries wandering around the regions of Wisconsin or the Midwest or the United States or the world, but we can in the regions which we live carry this desire. Closing, let's turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to see once again Paul's testimony. And I think we ought to close this morning with this thought, this reminder, this challenge in regards to How we live our days. Nowhere in scriptures is God saying, you know, that we all have to give up our jobs. You know, somebody's got to support missionaries. But God tells us how we ought to live our days. What should be important in our days. You know, do we, would, would we actually consider altering our schedule for the day, for the month, to accommodate serving Christ? Many Christians don't. Many Christians say, well, I don't have time for that because I've got so much to do. And I can be one of them. And maybe our to-do list needs to change, whatever. But that's between you and the Lord. What God wants us to maintain this mentality, such as verse here in verse 23. I'll start verse 22, where Paul says here in his testimony to the elders at Ephesus, he says this in verse 22, now, See, now I go bound in the Spirit. In other words, he's bound in the Spirit. He, this is where God wants him to go, to, to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Yes, life's going to be rough. There are sacrifices involved. But none of these things move me. Wow. We get so bent out of shape when things in life are at risk. But I don't get my bucket list done or accomplished or my chores for the day done. And Paul says, none of these things move me. I don't call my life dear to myself so that I might finish my race with joy. Now, Paul's later in years when he said this, but that should be our desire. You know, we all have regrets in our past, things that we've, mistakes we've made, failures to be all that God wants us to be, and that's part of our growth process. But our attitude should be like this, I want to finish my race with joy. And Paul reminds us that in Philippians when we get there, we forget what's behind, we press forward to what's before. Finish the race. What about today? What about when we walk out these doors? What about when we, we go through our week? Are we going to allow the things of life to move us or the cause of Christ to move us? So that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is a tremendous passage in Philippians chapter 1. It lays out for us the joy there is in being a true follower of Christ and ordering our days from a redemptive perspective that the Lord Jesus might touch others for the cause.
Father, we are so thankful today to be privileged to be your ambassadors, your witnesses, your disciples. Father, we don't know how you allow the light of Christ to shine through us, but you tell us that if we follow you, it will. For you write your word in our hearts. You express the life of Christ through us. You are in a continual process as we have seen of making us more like Christ. But Father, you also encourage us to have a perspective in life and in as we are living. A redemptive perspective to recognize that we are surrounded by thousands and millions of people who are headed for a crisis eternity, who are facing even despair and destruction in life. And we have that message, I think, for you. And Father, not every one of us is going to be full-time in ministry. Father, you have given us a responsibility, a ministry, and a ministry of the gospel to be preached in where we live, whether it's in our, in our homes, to our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, and wherever we go, Father, you tell us to share Christ. Father, take these challenges. And Father, may we not just look at it and think, boy, I'm not the witness I ought to be. I think that maybe it's true of all of us. But instead, may we seek to finish our race with joy. May you help us every day to carry this perspective. And we pray for one another here. Help us overcome our fears, our intimidations, our consciousness of self. And in the love of Christ and the boldness of the Spirit, Father, help us to be willing to approach people with that question. Do you ever thought about where you're going? Or to share a testimony or something you've done in our lives. Father, for truly you are our all in all. So impress these things upon us by your grace. 